0: Well, it's a great uh, privilege for me to be here with you. I forgot how pious this congregation is. Oh, there is a clock facing the preacher. So uh, you're not as pious as I thought, but um, you're wiser. Um, And uh, I am delighted to be back here. For those of you with a very good memory, uh, may recall I was here 10, 15, 20 years ago uh, and uh, always uh, appreciated that uh, time here. And I'm delighted to be back and to have this opportunity uh, to worship with you and to look into uh, God's Word with you. So I'd ask you to turn with me in the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and we'll take up our reading at verse 14 and read um, uh, down through chap- uh, verse 29, Mark 9, taking up our reading at verse 14, this is God's own word. And when they came to the disciples, that is Jesus and the three who had been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes were arguing with them. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, with his, uh, entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So far the reading of God's word. Uh, Here is uh, a very dramatic story and picture of the ministry of our Lord. Uh, It's a picture that is presented in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story of the casting out of the demon from the boy. And uh, all three Gospels tell it immediately after Jesus' glorification on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, we see then uh, the reality of Jesus' experience that he comes from that moment of glory and that moment of anticipation of the glory that will be his when he finishes his work. When he comes from that mountain where he heard the Father's voice uh, again approving him and blessing him, and he comes down that mountain into the reality of a world of struggle, a world of grief a world of difficulty, a world of disappointment. He comes down that mound to our world, to the reality where we live. And uh, what a dramatic moment uh, that is in his life. And each of the Gospels that record this story uh, have a different focus. Uh, Matthew uh, focuses on the power of Jesus and the glory that comes to Jesus in the exercise of his power to heal the boy. Uh, Luke, that's what Luke focuses on. See, I need to look at my notes. Um, That's what Luke focuses on. Matthew focuses on the uh, disciples, the reaction of the disciples, the failure of the disciples. Uh, Mark focuses on the father of the boy and on the, the trauma of this experience for the Father, and particularly on the faith of the Father. And that's important for us because uh, this account of Mark's is particularly an account of the call to faith, of the struggle of faith, of the nature of faith. And that's what I want to look at with you today. Um, what is Mark telling us? about faith? What is Mark telling us about the nature of faith and how we are to live as people of faith? You know, Mark's gospel is, in most of its accounts, uh, very brief. Uh, Mark moves along very uh, rapidly. Uh, Mark loves the word immediately. He moves from one thing to another. This happened, then immediately Jesus did the next thing. And so when Mark slows down, he's really showing us something very important. And he slows down here with this story. Uh, Mark's account of the healing of this boy is considerably longer than either Matthew or Luke's account. And so this is important to Mark. This is stressed by Mark. This is something Mark wants his readers uh, to really pay attention to. And so we want to follow what Mark is saying to us carefully, because he has not wasted a word in what he's recording uh, about Jesus and his teaching and his power. The first thing that we see here, uh, the first picture that Mark gives us, is a picture of failure that surrounds Jesus. Uh, he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, he comes down with his three closest disciples uh, to find his other disciples waiting and arguing. Uh, they have been confronted apparently by scribes, and the scribes and the disciples are going at it. Um, They're having a theological discussion. And uh, it's not that that troubles Jesus. What troubles Jesus is the report that these disciples have failed while he is gone to be able to help this boy in his trouble. And when Jesus asks what's going on, the father, whom Jesus doesn't know, just someone from the crowd, Mark tells us, the father cries out, I brought my son. My son was so much difficulty to you. You weren't here, but I asked your disciples to cast out the unclean spirit. And they were not strong enough. That's what the Greek literally says. The translation says they were not able. It's really an emphasis on the, the failure of the strength of the disciples to do this work. They were not strong enough. Now this should surprise us. Uh, This is strange, because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus specifically empowered and commissioned these disciples to go out, to preach the gospel, and to cast out unclean spirits. And they went out, and they had done it. And they had come back and reported to Jesus that they had done it. And so one of the questions that Mark is clearly intending us to ask as we read this story is, why had they failed now? Jesus had given them the power to do this. They had actually done it. So why could they not do it here? Jesus is confronting confronting the, the failure of his disciples. And he's confronting at an even more profound level the general fallenness and failure of the world in which he lived, the misery of this fallen world. Um, In a sense we don't need the Bible, do we, to uh, understand the misery of this fallen world. It surrounds us on every hand. Um, We come to church nicely dressed. We come to church and people say, how are you? And usually we say, fine. But the reality is we all struggle uh, with the fallenness of this world. Uh, We can't avoid it. It impinges on us time and time again. And uh, Jesus sees this with this poor, troubled boy. We don't know his exact age. Uh, He's still called a boy, but he's been troubled for some length of time uh, by this unclean spirit. And Mark, four times in this short story, comes back to tell us about the terrible things this spirit has done to the boy. Uh, He's mute. He's convulsed. Uh, He's convulsed in ways that threaten his life. Uh, He's been thrown into fire and into water by this spirit. The spirit reveals its basic character in the life of this boy. Uh, The spirit and the, the, the evil one whom he serves is out to destroy life. And uh, this is really setting up for us in Mark's telling the reality of the contrast between this world, which is dedicated to death, and Jesus, who is the Lord of life. Jesus, who has come to bring life to his people. And so what Mark is showing here is the, the reality that behind our lives, behind our struggles, behind our difficulty, there is always going on a deep spiritual confrontation. And uh, Paul described that eloquently, didn't he, in Ephesians chapter 6, where he wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And that's the reality of life, the reality behind our lives, behind the struggles and the misery of this life. We see that in our own time, don't we? There is revealed with particular clarity, it seems to me, in our time, this spiritual struggle in the current debate in our nation about abortion. Um, And again, what it reveals is that the great issues are those who uphold life and those who champion death. That's what Jesus faced here. That's what we face in this world. Uh, Sometimes we face it with great clarity. I think this is a moment in history when we face it with great clarity. Uh, Sometimes it's not so clear the path forward. But uh, the scripture says to us there is always this spiritual struggle as the background uh, to life, and uh, Jesus faces this and calls us to face it as well. So in the face of this failure, Jesus turns to the father, to the father of this boy. Uh, Jesus clearly is concerned about the boy. Uh, he's frustrated with his disciples. I don't know, do we think of Jesus as being frustrated very often? I think uh, because we're pious and because we, we know that Jesus is true man, but that he's true God, we imagine he can't ever be frustrated. But Jesus is really frustrated here. And he says, how long do I have to put up with this faithless generation? And here he, he marks the real issue that he's going to highlight in this event that he calls us to think about. Are we part of the faithless generation or are we part of the faith-filled generation? Um, Jesus almost takes the words of a psalm on his lips, doesn't he? How long am I going to put up with you? That's the question over and over again in the Psalter, isn't it? How long? How long? How long? Uh, Jesus, in his frustration, asks that question and then turns to the father and says, how long has this been going on for this boy? And the answer is, for a long time. For a long time, the father says. Think of the pain in the heart of this father as he reflects on, no doubt, years of trying to protect this child from being destroyed. The constant vigilance necessary and now he's come, because he's heard that Jesus has power, and his initial con- contact with the disciples of Jesus is a disappointment. And so, the father appeals to Jesus. You see those words in, in uh, verse 22, after the father has explained his struggles and the boys' struggle The Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion and help us. What a remarkable statement. Uh, What a remarkable statement that focuses our attention on the most essential character of Jesus. Jesus is the one with compassion. Jesus is the one who helps. Jesus is the one who can help. And it's tempting for me to imagine, in a sense, the pain that Jesus feels when the matter of his compassion and the matter of his power to help are not fully embraced, but are questioned. If you can, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response is so telling. He says, if you can. Now, we might wonder exactly what Jesus means by that. Uh, Some interpreters have said, um, Jesus is really turning this back on the Father and saying, well, it's really not if I can, it's if you can. Uh, But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not at all a correct interpretation. It is crystal clear that what Jesus is doing is he is quoting the words of the Father back to him. The Father has said, if you can, and Jesus says, in effect, what do you mean if I can? Um, He's saying to the Father... You should not be doubting that I can. Uh, This is another manifestation that Jesus lives in a world of the faithless. And he's challenging the Father on this matter of faith. What do you mean if I can? Why did you come if you're doubting that I can? How can you be doubting that I come with compassion and with the power to help? And the Father gets what Jesus is saying. And the Father hears these remarkable words. All things, and again the translation, I don't, I don't know why they're not clear in the translation. Verse 23, what Jesus says to the Father is, All things can be for the one who believes. Now it's translated, all things are possible. That's generally the sense But this theme of what can be is what runs through this text. If you can, and Jesus says, all things can be for the one who believes. This is the heart of this text. This is the call of Jesus to every human heart. Do you accept that I can do all things for the people who trust me? For the people who turn to me? And here Jesus is really revealing the very essence of faith. Faith is trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus to be the compassionate one, the merciful one, the kind one, the loving one, the saving one. Faith is trusting Jesus to be able to do all things. Now, you notice there's a difference between the ability to do all things and the actual doing of all things. Jesus is saying, I have the ability to do all things. And true faith looks to me with trust and confidence that I can do all things. And that I am motivated in my whole life to be a compassionate Savior. And to be a compassionate helper. That's who I am. That's who I am. All things are possible. All things can be for one who believes. Now, sadly, in the history of the church, there are people who have taken this verse and run with it in directions that Jesus obviously never intended Uh, There are people who preach what's come to be known as a health and wealth gospel and who teach, if you only believe enough, Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy. I'm still waiting for my Rolls Royce. I think the people who settle for Mercedes are profoundly wrong. I want a chauffeur and a Rolls Royce. Now, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Of course not. You sort of just... you, you, You almost wonder... How can people be so perverse? Here's a father who loves his child. Here's a father who's come to Jesus for help in in a great issue of life. And we're going to turn that into a matter of getting Rolls Royces. It's just absurd on the surface of it. What Jesus is saying to this father and every one of us is, will you trust me with the great issues of life? I know what I'm doing. I'm wise, I am powerful, I'm good. Will you trust me? Will you give your life to me in trust? And trust that what I do is right and good. And how does the father respond? Well, he responds in a way that is so helpful to us as well as powerful for him. The father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. The father has heard the word of Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and says, I will trust you. I do trust you. I rely on you. I have confidence in you. I believe that you are the Savior with compassion and power to help. But you know it's not easy. It's not automatic. It doesn't happen with me just putting myself on cruise control. It's a constant struggle in the struggles of life to turn to Jesus and to trust him. And so the Father prays, help my unbelief. Help all those forces in my life that would drag me away from you. Help me to confront those ideas which would lead me not to trust you. Help me to to resist the values of this world that would tell me that Jesus is not reliable. I believe. Help my unbelief. What a beautiful picture that is of the reality of faith. Uh, Faith looks to Jesus, not as a work. That's part of what has often been confused amongst Protestants and others. Faith is a work we have to work up. No, faith isn't our work. Faith is turning to another in hope, in trust, in confidence, and relying upon him. And this Father shows that so clearly to us and helps us see it so powerfully. Uh, The Father has left the faithless generation and has embraced the faith-filled life which he recognizes isn't a guarantee of an easy life. He still has to be a man of prayer. He still has to be a man renewed in trusting Jesus every day and every hour. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so then what happens? What is the outcome of this faith in this remarkable story that Mark Uh, tells us. Well, the first thing that Mark tells us is about the crowds that come running. Uh, The father had brought the boy to Jesus, you remember, and as the boy is approaching Jesus, the unclean spirit within him realizes what's about to happen and convulses the boy again, so that the boy is on the ground convulsing as the father and Jesus have this conversation. And then as it is clear that Jesus is going to do something, the crowd comes running so that they can engage in the religious spectacle that they anticipate. In Mark, the crowd is almost always not a faithful crowd, but a crowd looking for some kind of religious excitement. And that's what they're doing. They're running to see. They see the boy on the ground, and then they hear the word of Jesus. You see that there? There. Verse 25, Jesus says to the spirit, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. There's the word of Jesus. Can we believe that word? That Jesus is able to help that boy? They've heard the word. We've heard the word. Do we believe Jesus? And what happens? Verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. You see how cleverly, how powerfully Mark has put this story together? Jesus has spoken the word of life. But what does the crowd see? The crowd sees what appears to be death. The boy still, like a corpse, on the ground. He seemed more alive when the unclean spirit was in him, convulsed and jerking around on the ground. And now after the word of Jesus, he looks like he's dead. Mark is really saying to us, isn't he? How do we live our lives? Do we live our lives on the basis of what we see? A boy looking like a corpse on the ground? Do we live our lives trusting our judgments about reality? Or do we live our lives trusting the word of Jesus? Trusting the reality of Jesus? And what happens? Well, this marvelous thing happens. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I think Mark does this several times in his gospel, which I call, and, and this is not a, uh, a very um, reliable theological point, but I'm a historian, not a theologian, so you know, I can't be expected to get all these things quite right. I like to call this a mini-resurrection. It's an anticipation of resurrection. This boy looks dead. Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up. This is the anticipation of resurrection that is promised throughout the gospel and is promised to us. Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the one who raises the dead. Jesus is the one, because he's raised from the dead, will be able to give life to all his people. You know, we don't often think about it when we read these miracles. When we read these miracles, we often think, why can't we see more of those miracles in our time and in our lives? But you know, the truth is, although this boy had the evil spirit driven out of him, this boy would eventually die. This father will eventually die. And as they face death... Did they trust Jesus as the Lord of life? Did they trust Jesus that he would not leave them in the grave forgotten? Did they trust him that at the last day, the dead will be raised to life everlasting? I noticed as we drove here, we passed a big cemetery. How many generations of people have gone to that cemetery to bury the dead? And how many walked away with the confidence that one day Jesus is returning in glory? And all of those who knew him in this life will rise to glory in him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Maybe you respond with the Father. You should respond with the Father. I believe Help my unbelief. I believe that Jesus is the Lord of life. I believe that Jesus has compassion. I believe that Jesus will help. And that he helps out of his own wisdom. Out of his own plan for all of us together. That we will be glorified in him, and he will be glorified in us. And then when these disciples these failures. The the disciples throughout Mark's gospel, this is another technical theological term, they're duds. They don't get it. They're never right. They're always wrong. Uh, This is sort of Calvinist encouragement to us. Cheer up, things could be worse. We could be as bad as the disciples. Uh, These disciples just don't get it, and they say to him, Why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? And this is a wonderful answer. This kind cannot be driven out, but by prayer. Oh, the disciples say, we only prayed five minutes. If we had prayed ten minutes, we could have cast it out. Is that what Jesus is teaching here? No, You know that, don't you? What Jesus is teaching here is prayer is the exercise of faith. That's what John Calvin said so powerfully. Prayer is the exercise of faith. Prayer is turning away from ourselves and our strength and our confidence to our God and saying to him, you have to help. The disciples had not prayed the way the Father prayed. The disciples had not said, I believe, help my unbelief. They had trusted themselves instead of trusting God. Jesus is not turning prayer into a work that we have to quantify and do a certain amount of to get the result we want. Jesus is reminding us that prayer is the exercise of faith. Prayer is trusting. Prayer is turning to the one who can help and finding in him help in time of need. And so I hope this reflection on Jesus facing the struggles of life can help all of us face the struggles of life and recognize that what Jesus calls us to is not putting all of our attention on the struggles and the failures and the miseries of this life. But in the midst of those struggles, always to look beyond them to the Savior, to Jesus who can help, to Jesus who will help, because he's the compassionate Savior. And he calls us to live out our lives as those who trust him, trust his ways, trust his wisdom, trust his providence, trust his great saving work, and that we will exercise our life of faith by constantly saying, I believe. Help my unbelief. May God grant that every one of us here are part of the faith-filled generation, resting in Christ as our hope. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, how thankful we are that you have given us a Savior, and you have given us a word that helps us to see that Savior clearly. And uh, we pray, O Lord, that in the midst of our struggles, uh, the very real difficulties of our lives, uh, we might know that Jesus is with us, that Jesus knows us and cares for us, That Jesus has not forgotten us, but that when he has accomplished all his purpose in this world, when he has gathered all his elect, he will return in glory and make all things new. And that in that day at last every tear will be wiped away and every evil will be removed from this world. And while we wait for his coming, O Lord, We pray that you will fill us with faith, with trust, with confidence in him. And when faith is hard, O Lord, help us to pray, help my unbelief and fill me with faith so that I might know that one day Jesus will raise me up too to live forever with him. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.